Welcome to, to Number Our Days. Uh, I couldn't be more excited to teach through uh, the Word. You know, again, how many of us, you don't even need to raise your hand, I already know you're here because you believe this, we're in the end times. And we wouldn't be here if we didn't want to go deeper. You want to go deeper with the Lord. That's what this whole series is about. And there's a, there's a theme of Psalm 90, verses 12 through 13. It's to number our days. And you say, well, what does to number our days have to do with the end times? Everything. Because if you know what's coming, then we need to make the most of it today. That's the reality of, of what we're talking about. Now, this is a part two. We've had a couple of them already. I am praying that this doesn't become a part three, by the way. Uh, somebody asked me, how long are we going to go? We still don't know. Uh, but last week, just as a summary, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this in nine points from last week, and I'm going to do it in less than 10 minutes, okay? And then we're going to jump in. We're talking about the new covenant and how the new covenant establishes what's to come. Now, it's, it's pretty fun to think. We talked about in Jeremiah 30 and Jeremiah 31, but there's a guy named Philip Graham, Graham Riken, and he, he did a good job. I'm going to kind of tweak some of the things that he wrote about but do you guys remember 15 times in Jeremiah 31, you hear this language, God saying, I will. And so remember, uh, who's he talking to? He's talking to his people. Now, here's the context, okay? You got to understand this. And this is always gets a little swirly. We have this chart that's called Kings and Prophets. Okay, you have the, Kevin, you're so good at this. Why don't you describe what happened here? Well, it's, the chart actually helps lay it out a little bit. You have two kingdoms, basically. The 10 tribes go to the north. And they are called Israel. Yep. Two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, go to the south. Uh, the top, Israel, no good kings. Good. So in this process, you have minor prophets and major prophets that we have, okay? And you guys can start identifying. We have no idea if that's what they look like, by the way. Uh, but in this, you see like Jonah as a minor prophet. So now here's what's happening. We're in Jeremiah. So Jeremiah falls under the lineage of the timeline of, of Zedekiah. Okay, near the end of King Zedekiah. Okay, now Jeremiah is what he's talking about. This is so important to understand. What Jeremiah is talking about is there are people, right, Kevin, already in captivity, and and the northern, going there. The northern tribes are gone. They northern just, tribes. So now you're already jumping back to the Assyrian stuff, right? Right. They're These gone. guys are where, Kevin? They're, the Assyrians took them and scattered them. Good. That's hence the ten lost tribes, right? They've become scattered. Okay. That's the Assyrians. So, Kevin, keep going now with the Babylonians. So, the Babylonians are coming in and threatening to take and have taken some people yep. as Jeremiah is prophesying in what we're reading today. So, they're headed there and some are there. So, his whole language, okay, and this is why this is an important uh, chart here. His whole language is in Jeremiah 31, God is going to do I will. He releases 15 times different things that God's going to do. Now, in this, this is the famous new covenant. But when we as evangelicals in the American side, I should say, when we think of the new covenant, we always think about our heart change, right? But part of that whole promise in Jeremiah 31 is for God to fulfill something in Israel. It's setting the stage for more. Yes, that new covenant is for us, the Jews and the Gentiles. But man, you got to understand the backdrop of all of this before you even enter into this. They're in, in captivity. They're going to captivity. And now all of a sudden... Jeremiah starts releasing this bigger picture of the covenant. And I, I just, can we pray before we jump into this one? I just, uh, there's a lot of meat here. And I'm just, I'm just going to tell you how I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that the Lord would change our perspective of the new covenant. Okay? I'm not theologically changing anything. 
I just think we come to the lens of the end times and you hear terms and you already know them or something. And so, Lord, I'm just going to pray through the Spirit of God. You would just, would you today, I keep praying this, Daniel 12, show us more today. Show us more of the bigger picture. Holy Spirit, just speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Jeremiah 31, verse 31 as well. 31, 31 says, look, the days are coming. If you remotely talk about the end times, you get excited right here. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make, remember all these promises are unfolding, right? The days are coming when I will make a new covenant. Now watch this. Who's he going to make a new covenant with? He says, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. At this point, what? That'd be like God saying, by the way, the Pentecostals and the Mennonites are going to be one. Did you know the Amish are going to hang out with the German Baptists? Like, that's the mentality. Like, I don't do that. We need a radical unification, by the way, in, in the church. I don't know. I get a pulse on this a little bit in Africa, but I, I do believe there's still division amongst leaders. And I, I really believe this John 17 mentality. Jesus wants us to be unified. And in John 31, 31, he's already releasing. We have to be unified in. Now, in this case, it's for his people, but I can just say as well for the body of Christ. He wants to come back for a, a bride that's ready. And so what he's saying is, is, hey, by the way, a miracle is going to take place. All of this chaos, I'm the only one that's going to bring unity. And he says it with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, when you hear this terminology, new covenant, right? Up until this point, what kind of covenants have we had? Well, we've had uh, the Mosaic covenant, which is the one that we're coming out of where we call it the old covenant. We've got the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. So... The difference, Kevin, this is your language here. What's the difference between those covenants? We've got the Abrahamic, he mentioned, the Mosaic, and the Davidic. So the Mosaic is conditional. Okay, what do you mean by conditional, Ray? What does that mean, conditional? So it, it's based on works. It's if I do this, God will do what okay, he's good. promised. Only the Mosaic is conditional. Kevin, what's the difference then about Abrahamic and Davidic? They are unconditional means it doesn't matter what happens. God says this is... This is what's going to happen. Okay, so we have talked about now, we've talked about, and you can throw in the Noahic covenant in there as well. We didn't teach through that. But you have all these covenants. Now God says in this prophetic language, I'm going to bring a new covenant. You'd be like, which one? Right? I mean, that's kind of the mentality because whatever we're doing isn't working. So at this point, their heart is receptive. You have to get to the point, you guys, in order to hear from the Lord, we've got to be humble and able to receive a word from the Lord. And so he says, all right, let me explain this. Okay, this is kind of a fun picture. Join with me in verse 32. This will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. When I took them by the hand, I love that language, by the way. I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, right? Remember this? I know this is going to sound really like you guys don't know a map, okay? This is for me. Egypt in Africa. It's right at the top. Okay, so I'm serious because some people don't have a concept. You just think Egypt's out there and it's this big place. It's at the top of Africa, which is why I love that our friends are joining us. And then in that, he says, I brought you out of Egypt. And even that, though, a covenant they broke, even though I had married them. What's that mean, Ray? What is that talking about when he says, I've married them, that language? 
Well, it's, it's just really the way that he views his relationship with his people. And, you know, he even, even makes that analogy with, you know, the new, the new covenant with the bride. Uh, it's really God's heart. There's nothing more intimate on this earth than the, the relationship between a man and a woman. And God uses that to express the intimacy that he wants uh, with each one of us. So here you have God creating unity with him and, in this context, these people, right? Both, Israel and Judah. And it says they decided to break it. They chose to, quote unquote, break the marriage, right? That's kind of the mentality of what you hear. Why? They, they broke it because they decided to worship idols. And then they also broke it because they decided not to follow the word of the Lord. That could be applied to anybody. That could be applied to any nation. That's the context that we're talking about. Now, let me just say this. Nelson's commentary just says, look, you have to understand the law itself could not satisfy and could not bring about salvation. Because the only way that they could offer any attempt of that, of forgiveness of sins, was through the temple, was through the sacrifice, was through the offering. Now, I'm just going to state the super obvious. There's no temple anymore right now. I know people don't necessarily think about this, but here you have a Jewish people that are instructed to offer sacrifices and offerings, and they have no temple today to do that. Hence, why Jeremiah 31, 32 says, by the way, that doesn't work anymore. So he's implementing a new game plan for his people, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And until they recognize what the word says, they're not going to recognize that there's a new covenant. It's kind of a, a bizarre mindset. And we have to understand the law of God was never, Nelson says this, was never designed in means of justification. Ray? You know, I, I believe that uh, the law was given to prove that man cannot be right before God based on his own effort. And a lot of the, the language in the book of Hebrews is, you know, we think in terms of repentance, a lot of times in a, with a church lens, we think of repenting from sin, mm. but a lot of the language in Hebrews is repenting from dead works. Yeah. And dead works are trying to work our way to God. And that's, mm. what, that's what I believe the, the law was to prove that man could not work his way to God. That's awesome. So here you have what's called the new covenant. Now, let me talk through what the new covenant is, okay? We're going to tie all of this in big picture. Uh, it's going to feel actually very New Testament today a little bit, which we haven't got to hang out there really very much at all. Uh, but I want to just start here if we can. Can we go to Luke 22, verse uh, 20? I'm going to give you just some illustrations here. Luke 22, verse 20, Jesus is with his disciples in the same way he took the cup. And it says, after the supper, after supper, and he said, this cup is what? The new covenant established by my blood. It is shed for you. Now, remember, Matthew 5, 17 makes it pretty clear. I didn't come to abolish or to destroy, but I came to fulfill. Jesus's language in Luke 22, 20 is a fulfillment of what we're talking about in Jeremiah 31. Jesus says, I am that new covenant that, by the way, this prophet is talking about. So the new covenant, this language is, and Ray, I think it's really important, through the blood. This new covenant is established through the blood of Christ, the ultimate sacrifice. Make sense? 
I just, I, I know this is obvious, but sometimes you guys, we don't take time just to simply start tying it together. So when you take communion in church, you are ultimately saying, I am fulfilling, I am experiencing, let me put it that way, what Jeremiah prophesied. That's an awesome picture. Yeah, right. And Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's right. 2 Corinthians 3.6. This is a cool picture. He has made us, that would be those that have embraced Christ, to be competent, competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Now watch this. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit produces life. Ray, you want to unpack that? Yeah, it's, it's what the uh, external code could never change the heart. Yeah. And when the Spirit comes inside of us through the new birth, everything the law was trying to accomplish can now be accomplished through us. So here's the question. It can all be accomplished through us. We are ministers of a new covenant. I don't, you don't need to answer this out loud, but those that are online as you guys are processing this, am I really functioning as a minister of the new covenant? Or do I just soak it up and embrace it? Or do I do something with what I've been given? And I love this language that Paul writes. And Paul just says, you and I, we're competent, by the way. We're competent to be ministers of this new covenant. And I love it because it comes from the Holy Spirit. Can we go to Hebrews 8, verse 7 through 13? Hebrews 8, 7 through 13, for if that first covenant had been faultless, I love this, you could just hang out here all day, there would have been no occasion for a second one. So, if that very first one that we've been talking about, the Mosaic Covenant, hey, if it worked, if it was perfect, why would we need this one? Keeps going in verse 8, but finding fault with his people, he says, look, oh, look, look isn't this crazy? We're going to repeat what we just talked about. Look, finding fault with his people, he says, look, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I want you to always picture that chart. I'm going to combine the, the craziness and the chaos, and I'm going to put them together. And then he says, not like the covenant, I'm in verse 9, that I made with their ancestors on the day that I took them by their hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. I disregarded them, says the Lord, because they did not continue in my covenant. Verse 10, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Now, when we read this, okay, now this is going to start jumping into Jeremiah 31, verse 33, okay? So I'm going to read this from the New Testament, and then I'm going to go back to the, the Old, okay? But this is the covenant that he says I'm going to make. This is the new covenant that he says he's prophesying. I will put my laws into their mind, into their minds, and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. You got a lot of questions here. If you don't, I do. Notice he just said house of Israel. He didn't say house of Judah and house of Israel. I believe because they're unified now. Okay, so you're already seeing the new covenant establishing unity. The division mindset has to be removed. And so now he says, oh, and then here's the other kicker part. And then he says, they will be my people. So then you have to ask yourself, is his people only referencing the house of Israel? We're going to unpack that just so you know. We're going to unpack that just so you know. But I do want you to point, I want to point out the obvious things. Okay? 
When I had my Damascus Road experience, I think somebody asked me, would I ever unpack this here in this class? I shouldn't say no. <laughs> uh, but I do want to just say um, the biggest thing I wrestled with when I heard the voice of the Lord on April 5th and April 6th of 2001 was God identified his people to me. And it took me a long, long time. And I'm just going to say this for myself, and I'm not putting this word on you, but because of my lack of knowledge and ignorance in the word, I didn't fully understand who his people were. I just assumed things. The way that we number our days is we've got to be in the word to know where we're living and how to live it out. So in this picture, okay, uh, Kevin, before we go back to Jeremiah, can we just do one more verse if we don't mind? Uh, go to Hebrews 12. Um, go to Hebrews 12, verse 24. I, I, I'm jumping ahead here, Kevin. Jesus, look at this. He serves as what? The mediator of a new covenant. So Jesus is the answer to everything Jeremiah is going to talk about. Okay, Ray, you want to jump in with any of this? Well, I always uh, see that when it, when it says that his blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood cried out for justice. That's right. And Jesus' blood cries out for mercy. Go ahead. Somebody's going to ask me later, what did Ray say that last time? Say that one again. That was, that was good. <laughs> so the blood of Abel cries out for justice. In Hebrews 12, 24. Yep. You guys can see this on your screen. Okay, Hebrews 12, 24. Better things than the blood of Abel. Go ahead. And the blood of Jesus cries out for mercy. And it's really the difference between the two covenants as well. Okay, everybody with us on this? Now, I do think, okay, Kevin and I talked about this earlier today. I do think that the Israelites were being prepared for this type of language, right? Put it on their hearts. Now, up until this point, they had stuff written down, okay? Uh, and when I say stuff written down, stuff was written on stone tablets, right? Stuff was written on legal documents, and they even had human mediators as priests, right? The Levites served as that role. So all of these things were like initial indicators for more. Okay, I'll even go a little bit farther here. Uh, Kevin, why don't you go to Deuteronomy 11, verse 18, if you don't mind. Deuteronomy 11:18 18 says, Imprint these words of mine on your hearts and minds. Bind them as a sign on your hands and let them be a symbol on your forehead. So this language of, I want you to take the word, and putting it on you, like that is a, a, a concept that these guys would know. Kevin, go ahead. It's their responsibility. That's right. In this context, the Mo uh, uh, in this context uh, with the Mosaic Covenant, they had to do it. If you go to Israel today, I'm not making fun of people when I say this. You guys, they are so bound up with stuff. They got stuff they're wrapping around their, their arms. They got stuff they're wrapping around their heads. I'm not kidding. They got stuff dangling here. It's all a reminder. I said dangling. It, they get all kinds of stuff. Just why? So that they can try to keep up. So this mentality is at least there for them to hear the word that's going to come in Jeremiah 31. Okay, so this is clean language. This isn't some crazy concept, you know, that they would be foreign to. In Psalm 119, verse 11. Psalm 119, verse 11. Again, another principle behind this that they would be used to uh, some of this language. I have treasured your word in my heart. Why? So that I, might not, I may not sin against you. Okay? So this language, this thought, I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to throw a Jewish person under the, like they wouldn't have an idea. The word was preparing them for what they were to hear. 
And it's the same with us, you guys, with the end times. We should be prepared in knowing the word so that we're not caught off guard for when we walk into these things. The reality is, though, uh, Barna just came out with a new study, actually, I think this week, George Barna, for those that are overseas, he's a statistician that evaluates believers in, in churches. And do you understand the level of respect for the word of God in the church is just like declining over and over and over, and it's in the church. And so, honestly, when we say, how could an Israelite, or how could a Jew not know this? I want to give them a little bit of a credit, because there might be some evangelicals, there could be some churchgoers today that don't have a clue. Is that fair? Okay, so I just, I want to just, I'm not, I just think there's a, a mentality there uh, that I really, go to Psalm 40, verse 8. Psalm 40, verse 8, one more verse that would just kind of help set this up. Psalm 40, verse 8, it says, I delight to do your will, my God, and what? Your instruction lives within me. I'm just trying to emphasize that if they were in the word, they would know the word that's coming. Okay? It's a natural progression in how you set things up. So when you see in Jeremiah 31, 31 and 32, and then when it goes to 33, I'm now back in Jeremiah 31, verse 33. It says, instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. We've already read this in Hebrews. But the house of Israel, after those days, the Lord's, uh, the Lord's declaration, I'll put my teaching with them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Who's doing the work here, Kevin? This is God's responsibility this time. This is God now saying, I'm going to put it there. You don't have to do this. I'm going to do it. If you want me to answer your prayers, <clears throat> if you believe that you're going to answer my prayers, if you believe that I'm going to protect you, if you believe that I'm going to guide you, if you believe, fill in the nine promises that we've already talked about, why would they not embrace, I'm going to put this on their hearts? But you see, it's all been a setup. Not in a bad way. He's literally setting the stage for a Jewish person to say, wow, I want that. Because I'm leaving captivity and that ain't working. I need something else that's going to come into my life that I didn't have to do anything for it. That's because Jesus clearly did it for us. The new covenant is the death, burial, and resurrection because of what Christ did on the cross. You and I have something now by our faith in him. We have it written on our hearts. I don't know, Ray, you want to add any of that? Yeah, I do, but I'd take up the whole time. But uh, <laughs> it's also a picture of the Holy Spirit, who is the author living inside of us. So the it's back to that, you know, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You know, and the Spirit of the of liberty of life has given me. You know, it's it's basically different than the law of sin and death. Yeah. Set me free from the law of sin and death. Whew. You did pretty good. That was less than a minute. I know he does. That guy always has more. This is the beauty of Ray. Don't you love how, I just, thank you. I love this whole dynamic. Uh, Rich, you still with me? Is he calling me? Rich? Yeah, sorry. You got a I couple microphones going out. on in there. I took my earpiece out, so I didn't hear what you said. Something about Ray. He is amazing, though. I will, I will give you that. Uh, Ray was saying you're absolutely amazing, Rich. No, he was not. I heard what he said. I didn't hear what he said. Okay, whatever. Sorry. You just lied. Okay. Repent. 
Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. And I meant that. So, okay. So now watch this. I, I want to go back to this, though. In verse 33, it says this. I'm trusting you, Lord, on this one. Uh, it says, after those days. Now, this is the part here that's going to get a little swirly. Because if I read this at any other time, I'd be like, oh, that's the end times. Right? So I want to draw a little chart that, go ahead, draw with me if you don't mind. Uh, Tom Constable, former professor of mine at Dallas Seminary, he did this. Okay, so this is pretty cool. Okay, that's, that's going to look like a cross. It's not meant to. Okay, here you have the Old Covenant. Kevin, what, what would be described as the Old Covenant again? The law works. Okay, the law. Okay. And, and even, it's fair to say, even the prophets would fall under this, right? still under the law. They were still under the law, okay? So that's the language that we have, right? In other words, the Old Covenant is, just so everybody's the same, it's the 39 books from the Old Testament, okay? Just, that's this language, okay? Now, in this, okay, now it says uh, that, that he's going to give us a new covenant, but now he's talking to who? The house of Israel. There's no language of the body of Christ here. There's no language of the ecclesia. There's no language of the church. He says, I will make with the house of Israel after those days. So now this is where it gets kind of fun. I will say this. Here's the new covenant. Okay. Now, clearly, Ray, when Christ, right, when he died on the cross, we know it's a fair statement that the new covenant has been implemented. Jesus himself said, we already read this, that when you partake of the communion, when you partake of the, of, of the cup, he said, you are understanding and believing that he is now a fulfillment of the new covenant. So we know that the new covenant has already started. That's important to understand. But according to this verse, he says, in the, this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days. He says, I will put my law. So now after those days, you guys, Ray, when is after those days? Yeah, so, you know, I believe... The new covenant is instituted. Any individual Jew can step into the new covenant. Okay, I just I'm gonna write something here that you said and keep going. Individual. Yep. And but we know corporately it's not gonna happen until Jesus' return. Good. So and this in-between time is what Paul called the mystery. Good. He said there's a mystery that the Jews did not know that the Gentiles were included in the new covenant. And so that's, that's the mystery part uh -huh. for the Jew that's not a mystery to us, but it's going to come to its ultimate fulfillment with Christ's return. That's the language of Jeremiah for the corporate new covenant. Okay, that was huge. I think you're all tracking with us on this. Jesus comes in, new covenant's instituted, right? Implemented, and it's available for anybody. Clearly, John 3.16 says he what? He died for all. all. So you can't just say all of the Gentiles and not the Jews. So scripturally, he died for all. But according to 31, 33, he says, but I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts. And it says, after those days. So after those days, that language, you guys should know already that we've talked about, it comes after his return. Now, the return implements what? The thousand years. It is the millennium. So we have to say corporately for Israel, this will be fulfilled when he comes back. Right.
to add to that confirmation, Paul talks about the new covenant, the time that we're in, the mystery part. In that, he says there's neither Jew nor Greek. Yeah. There's neither male nor female. There's no distinction during that time period, but obviously the time period that Jeremiah's prophesying about, there is a distinction. Yeah. <laughs> I love this, by the way. Why? Because this sets the table for a whole lot we're going to do in eight minutes, okay? So, am I saying that the Jewish person cannot be saved before the return of Christ? No. Clearly, we have friends, you might have friends, that are Jewish that now believe Jesus is the Messiah, that he is Yeshua, that they would believe this. So, we have proof that they believe this. But corporately speaking, when less than 1% of 9 million people in Israel are believers in Christ, I think we're in a holding tank. <laughs> and Jeremiah 31 says, get ready. I'm going to dump a revival on my people. And it doesn't come until my son returns. And it's all a table and it's being set. Now watch, in 34, he says, No longer will one teach his neighbor. I'm Jeremiah 31, 34. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all know me. For they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. This is the declaration of Revive Israel. You don't have to teach anybody because they're all going to know me. This isn't the coming out of captivity. Have you heard what God has done? I don't really care. You don't have to talk about any of that anymore. This is the true revival. When do you ever see language that says, everybody will know me? It's his people. The house of Israel and the house of Judah are coming together. And it continues on in 35. And this is what the Lord says. Uh, I'm sorry, I, Kevin, go back. Yeah, thanks. I, I missed the bottom part. He says this, for I will forgive. So after everybody knows me, he says, I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember their sin. That's the new covenant. I've set my people free. Then he says in 35, this is what the Lord says. The one who gives the son. Now, this is huge, by the way. I'm already going to give you an argument point. There is this theology out there that's called replacement theology. Everybody talks about Romans 9, 10, and 11. Like if you're going to talk about replacement theology and how what replacement theology is, is that the church has replaced Israel that they believe that there's no longer a distinction between Israel and the church. I never hear in replacement theology arguments from Jeremiah 31. Why? Because this one's a home run. In raised language, it's bulletproof. 31, 35 says, this is what the Lord says, the one who gives the sun for light by day, the fixed order of moon and stars by, for light by night, who stirs up the sea and makes his waves roar. Yahweh of hosts is his name. If this fixed order, watch this, departs from my presence. In other words, if all of this stops, the sun, the moon, the waves, if all of this goes to chaos, he says, if this stops, this is the Lord's declaration, then also the Israel's descendants will cease to be a nation before me forever. You know what that means? It's not going to happen. My people are my nation. Jeremiah 31 35 and 36 says it's a home run. If you don't like that one, I got another one. This is what the Lord says. If the heavens above can be measured. So if you can measure the first, the second, and the third heavens, 
You can measure all the heavens and the foundations of the earth below explored. If you can, if you can measure all that, I will reject all of Israel's descendants because of all they've done. This is the Lord's declaration. Again, you know what he says? They're my people. I'm not done. Quit trying to put the church and Israel together. Yes, in Christ, we are one. But there's still a distinct holy nation, a treasured lamp that he says, that's the eye of my apple. These are my people. And it's pretty clear. I still have a plan for them. And Jeremiah 31, 38 says, look, the days are coming. There's that language again. The Lord's declaration, when the city from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate will be rebuilt for the Lord. In 39, it says a measuring line will once again stretch out straight to the hill of Garib and then turn over toward Goa. Verse 40, it says the whole valley, the corpses, this is the Hinnom Valley, the corpses, the ashes and all the fields as far as the Kidron Valley to the corner of the horse gate to the east will be holy to the Lord. It will never be uprooted or demolished Again, in other words, by the way, the whole New Jerusalem thing, yep, it's a done deal. He's describing, I'm going to rebuild and establish my people on this land. You got anything? Yeah. You know, when, uh, <laughs> yeah, I got a lot. <laughs> that was like a borderline yeah. scary theological, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> Keep going, man. Pretty emotional about it. Uh, if you think about when he's talking about you're not going to have to tell, you know, each person know the Lord, they'll all know. The reason they're going to know, they've seen him come down with fire and vengeance on their behalf That's and true. destroy their enemies, and he's walking among them. And the last time corporate Israel was with Jesus, they rejected him, whew, hung him on a cross. The sin that he's forgiving mm. is the fact that they're the ones that cried out for his crucifixion. And they're going to weep for him and mourn like a, you know, a mother after a child. And I think it's real emotional to think about he's giving them a do-over. And that's why he's not done with Israel. He's coming back. And they now get to whew, embrace him. Whew. All right. I just want to repeat, yeah. <laughs> this is the Lord. And the Lord just says, I'm not done. There's all kinds of New Testament verses, and we've touched on them in the last couple of lessons, and you've seen it in the Psalms. But the Jewish people, you guys, at this point, they're going to cry out. And in Zechariah, it says they will weep over the fact that they have pierced him. And at that point, he implements a salvation corporately for Israel. I want to go to Jeremiah 32. Because here, here's where sometimes I wrestle with going through the prophetic, waiting through the prophetic. And what I mean by prophetic, uh, it, it's a, a picture that God's going to do something in the near future or in the future, right? And so sometimes you don't know what the, what do you do with this? Great, I know that Israel's going to have, what do you do with this, right? Jeremiah, who released the word, okay? After this, he's getting thrown into prison. Jeremiah 32 uh, specifically verse 20, uh, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 37, 21. Jeremiah 37, 21. I just want to show you something. Remember, remember this timeline that we talked about? How do, we, how do we know this is the timeline? How do we know that Jeremiah is in Zedekiah? Well, Jeremiah 37, 21. So King Zedekiah gave orders and Jeremiah was placed in the guard's courtyard. Okay, he was placed in 
prison. House arrest. He's given a loaf of bread each day from the Baker Street until all the bread was gone from the city. So Jeremiah remained in the guard's courtyard. So why he's in the courtyard, he gets a loaf of bread every day. Does anybody else think what kind of bread? You know, if you went to Subway, you have a couple choices. Yeah. <laughs> Not the case here, okay, with King Zedekiah. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, it's in my head, all right? It's just where I go. So in the process, he's in prison. Now, I want you to go back to Jeremiah, okay? I want to go back to Jeremiah 32. Watch what a prophet does with a prophetic word. This is so cool. Jeremiah 32, verse 7 says, Watch, Hanamel, the son of your uncle Shalom. In other words, your cousin. Your cousin is going to come to you, okay? This is a word that he hears from the Lord. Your cousin's going to come. I want you to buy a field in Anathoth. He's in prison. For yourself, for you own the right of redemption to buy it. Now, it keeps on going uh, in this process, okay? So, he just heard from the Lord, I want you to buy land. Where? In Anathoth. Can we go to that map? Anathoth, okay? I feel like I, when I talk, Anathoth. Uh, is right over here. Anathoth is right, right uh, to the east of Jerusalem, right above the Dead Sea, right? This area. And in prison, Kevin, now where, where is he right now? He's in Jerusalem. Okay. And he's going to go into captivity. Correct. And then in captivity, right, we know that he is then, uh, he's going to buy uh, land in Anathoth. Can you imagine being in prison saying, yeah, I'm going to buy some land. <laughs> but here's the deal. Do you believe what he heard from the Lord is true? He has to identify that or not. Am I releasing? Do I believe this is of the Lord? Then guess what? I'm going to put everything I know to be true in that word. So in verse, uh, in Jeremiah 32, 8, okay, uh, he says, buy it for yourself. Then I knew this was from the word from the Lord. Ha, did he have money on him? He had bread. He had bread. What kind of bread, right? <laughs> Jewish rye. Jewish rye. You know, that was a good one. All right, so watch this. This is cool. So it says in verse 9, So I bought the field in Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel, and I weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. I recorded it on a scroll, sealed it, called in witnesses, and weighed out the silver on a scale. I took the purchase agreement, the sealed uh, copy with its terms and conditions, and the open copy. Doesn't that sound like a full-on contract? And I gave the purchase agreement to Baruch, son of Neriah, son of Messiah. I did this inside of my cousin Hanamel, the witnesses who were signing the purchase agreement, and all of the Jayans sitting in the guard's courtyard. He bought land in a place that he's not there. When you hear from the Lord, you really have to come before him and say, Lord, is this of you? And if it's of the Lord, we need to walk by faith. To number our days, it means if Christ really is coming back, we have to do what he's asking of us. It actually might mean buying land in Jerusalem. It actually might mean whatever the Lord's laying on your heart, what will you do in order to continue to get ready for his return? A prophet is in prison, and he decides to buy land. Now watch this. If you go to verse 20 for me, Kevin. In verse 20, it says this. Uh, it, it, it's kind of a cool picture. Jeremiah 32, verse 20. Okay. Uh, Kevin, actually go to verse 17, will you? He says this. After I had given the purchase agreement to Baruch, 
I prayed to the Lord. And then this is what Jeremiah prayed. Oh, Lord God, you yourselves made the heavens and the earth by your great power and with your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. How many of us have we've heard this verse? But how many of us have never tied it into him buying land in in Israel? This is what he's doing. He's buying land from a prison and he says, God, everything I release, bring it to fruition. And I want to have front row seats. How much do you really believe the word of God is true? And I believe you see a, a model here from a prophet living out the word that he has actually released. Ray? I think it's also a prophetic act. And prophetic acts are really big deals. It's a demonstration of actually what God is going to be doing. And silver means redemption. And so it's God redeeming or purchasing back the land of Israel. Yeah. So I think it's a prophetic act as well as his confidence in the word. It's like you read the next couple of verses. Sorry. <laughs> Go to verse 20. It is a prophetic act of what God promised. You perform signs and wonders. That's awesome. In wonders in the land of Egypt. And so do this to this very day, both in Israel and among mankind. You made a name for yourself as is the case today. You brought your people Israel out of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror. You gave them this land you swore to give them to their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now watch this. It says they entered and possessed it, but they did not obey your voice or live according to your instructions. They failed to perform all you commanded, all you commanded them to do. And so you have brought them all this disaster on them. Now, Okay, up until this point, they couldn't keep the land because they couldn't keep the, all the, the, the commandments. So how crazy is this that a prophet is buying land that they couldn't keep unless the new covenant was true? I believe God's going to re-implement, yes, a new covenant, and I want to be there for it. I want to be there when my people corporately experience him. I love this picture. He says in verse 25, Jeremiah 32, verse 25. Yet you, God, Lord God, have said to me, buy the field of silver and call in witnesses, even though the city has been handed over to the Chaldeans. Like, God, you told me to do this, even though it doesn't look good. Now in verse 37 through 40, here's how we just, we close all this up today. <laughs> Jeremiah 32, 37. I am about to gather them from all of the lands where I have banished them in my anger. Range in great wrath, and I will return them to this place and make them live in safety. They will be my people. It's his people. It's the Jews. And I will be their God. He says this in 39, I'll give them one heart and one way so that, did you catch that? One way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to give them one way for their good and for the good of their descendants after them. They will fear me always. And then here it is in verse 40. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never turn away from doing good to them. And I will put fear of me in their hearts so that they will never turn again. They will never again turn away from me. And Jeremiah says, I'm going to buy land there. Because I want to have a front row seat to the most legit revival in Israel ever. It's coming. Land is important to Israel. 
I'm just going to release this. Our team is praying for land in Israel. And I believe with time, God will give us that land. And I ask that you would pray and join us in believing this is going to come to fruition. Why? I have no problem telling you. I want a front row seat. Who doesn't? If you know this is true, let's start walking it 